innovation has never been a challenge. It's been innovating in a more systematic, in a more strategic way um, that, that will, we believe in, in that, in that uh, back to that idea of the smart manufacturing mentality as we think about the future, uh, will compel us to innovate in more, more structured and more thoughtful ways. And, and uh, there, there are some, uh, as, as I guess wouldn't really be shocking to us, people, process, and technology components that will enable that going forward. And that's, that's really the essence of what we here at SESME are trying to accomplish in bringing this ecosystem together in a, in a holistic way to facilitate innovation, actually even accelerate innovation, but uh, that requires a more thoughtful approach. You're listening to Transform Talks, the podcast about global supply chain transformation. I'm Maria Villablanca, co-founder and CEO of Future Insights Network, a fast-growing network of over 130,000 supply chain and manufacturing executives worldwide. Now on this show, I'm gonna be interviewing and having conversations with some of the biggest names in supply chain and business, where we're gonna be discussing topics around digitization, transformation, leadership, technology, business models, diversity, sustainability, and much, much more. Welcome back to Transform Talks. This week, my guest is John Dyke. John is the CEO of Sesame, the Smart Manufacturing Institute. Prior to joining Sesame, John held senior leadership positions in large corporations like GE and Rockwell Automation. He was also effective in raising VC funding and building a successful software startup called ActivePlan. In 2020, he was recognized by the Society of Manufacturing Engineering as one of 30 leaders transforming manufacturing in the USA. Now at Sesame, John is focused on helping transform the US manufacturing market and increasing its global competitiveness through the democratization of smart manufacturing technology. I have to say that I was very much interested in having John on the show, especially during such a pivotal time for manufacturing. I mentioned this during the episode, but I really feel like manufacturing is experiencing something of a renaissance at the moment. The sector is clearly performing much better than many believe, and slowly but surely, it seems like more and more people are becoming aware of this, which is great. During the episode, John and I discuss the key principles of smart manufacturing, why the U.S. is still lagging behind in this regard, and how to help manufacturers transition into this new era of manufacturing. I hope you enjoy. Hi, John. Welcome to Transform Talks. It's an honor to be here with you. Before diving into today's main topic, I just wanted to get your opinion on something. I know that you're based in Ohio. With that in mind, what one Ohio attraction would you recommend I visit and why? Well, that's a delightful way to start this conversation. Um, Ohio is, is, uh, is not my native um, environment. We moved here probably 14 years ago and uh, have fallen in love with it. It's kind of a, particularly in the northeastern part of Ohio, outside of Cleveland, it's a bit of a hidden gem, I would say. There, there's a, a unique blend of, of uh, uh, water being close to Lake Erie and uh, great sort of metropolitan resources and and beautiful rolling countryside and and so it's a it's a it's a great place to to live and to raise a family and to to call home. All right, so let's let's dive into the topic at hand, which is smart manufacturing. Now, uh, it's a term we've been hearing for some time, and for a lot of my listeners, they are in the supply chain manufacturing space, so they'll, they'll kind of know what it means. 
But maybe for those people that are listening, we can go into a little bit. What's what, what do you mean by smart manufacturing? What's the difference between smart manufacturing and your regular old-fashioned kind of manufacturing? That's a great great way to start. We um we we kind of think about smart manufacturing in a few different ways. Um, there's an official definition, which as the home of smart manufacturing here in the U.S., uh, we obviously have to start with, and and that is essentially that smart manufacturing is the information-driven, event-driven, efficient, and collaborative orchestration of business, physical and digital processes within plants, factories, and across the entire value chain. More colloquially, I think you would say it's, it's ensuring that the right information is delivered to the right people and systems in the right way at the right time. And so that's probably the, the, um, the more conversational way of, of talking about smart manufacturing. And, and the sort of contrast between smart manufacturing and call it the traditional manufacturing is, is, is the understanding and recognition of the fact that, that data, data, real-time data and access to the intelligence that that data brings to, to operators, to functional leaders, plant leadership, and enterprise, corporate enterprise and supply chain leaders is, is often hard to come by. We are in many ways still dealing with, with a, a vacuum, a data vacuum when it comes to decision support, making decisions in real time. And so, so, so smart manufacturing in this sort of era of the fourth industrial revolution is about digitizing the existing assets, your existing processes, and doing the best you can to drive decision support based on data, based on information, based on intelligence. So, and I would conclude by saying that we are aggressively working on moving smart manufacturing or thinking about smart manufacturing in the context of a smart a mentality, a, a DNA, much, much in the same vein as we would have thought about quality four or five decades ago, lean, continuous improvement. Smart manufacturing is about a mindset. It's a culture. It's about working together to, to, to take the people, the processes, the technology, and, and think about that as, as an overall mindset instead of an individual project or a pilot or, or something like that. So it's a, it's a broad, pervasive way of thinking about the future of manufacturing in practical data-driven terms. Okay, well, that's a, that's a great definition. And um, but the, th- the thing that, I don't know if it bugs me, but I just, the fact that I've been hearing about smart manufacturing for a long time, I first heard about it, what, a decade ago, you know, and we've been talking about it a long time. Uh, I know that when you look at certain studies, the European, you know, the Europeans and the Asian continent very much are fully advanced in uh, their implementation of smart manufacturing technology uh, or processes or mindset like you discussed. But America seems to be lagging behind. Uh, the U.S. seems to be lagging behind. What, what's the reason behind that? Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a great question. It's perhaps one of the most important questions that we need to be pondering and being very very thoughtful about in terms of our response. Uh, the 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 data. If we look at the Federal Reserve, the FRED, which is the source of a lot of data that anybody can have access to. If we look at manufacturing productivity here in the U.S. in the last decade, uh, in fact, for all of recorded history, until a decade ago, manufacturing productivity was on a steady uh, and healthy growth pace, a, a linear growth in productivity for all of recorded history. Until 10 years ago, 
uh, when for some set of really fascinating reasons, that productivity, manufacturing productivity began plateauing and in the last five years, even declining prior to COVID and certainly post COVID. And so, so that speaks to some really important um, challenges that we have to be thinking about here as we think about regionalizing supply chains, as we think about reshoring perhaps, and we do definitely see that we, we need a more competitive manufacturing environment here. Really, this, this is true of any developed economy or, or modern economy. We need competitive manufacturing environments to, to, to facilitate the, the kind of manufacturing renaissance that we're seeing post-COVID. And, and so um, understanding that here in the U.S. specifically, we've created sort of a, a level of technical debt as, as we've as an outcome of the really the third industrial revolution where we kind of graduated from an automation strategy based on relays and then basic PLCs and then putting a network port on a PLC to see that that data begin to be utilized in more uh, effective ways and then uh, a growing sort of capability around using manufacturing data over the over those decades we've created a significant level of complexity for manufacturing data manufacturing systems and and frankly in the us here we've uniquely invested in those types of capabilities and that ironically is what is one of the real real fundamental reasons why we've struggled to adopt new technologies smart manufacturing is a more prolific and as a more comprehensive way of looking at the plant floor. And so I know that's a bit of a long answer, Maria, but I, but I, but I fundamentally see that here in the U.S. we, we have uh, taken a much more isolated uh, proprietary approach to solving problems. And in Europe and in Asia, what, there's actually two nuances there. In Europe, there's much more of a collaborative way, even sort of for industry and, and the government to, to work together to 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 innovate and to bring those innovations to even the small medium manufacturers in their ecosystem, so that's that's not something we have. Um, that's not a strength here in America. We we don't have that historic way of of collaborating, of researching, of bringing that to the ecosystem. Um, and in your and in Asia, rather, it's, it's it's actually a different situation. They didn't have really much of that infrastructure at least uh, in china and some of some of some of the more recent developing economies they've leapfrogged this all because they didn't have that legacy to work work from or work through or work around so so there there are nuances in in every major region but i think that that underscores how important it is for us here in the u.s really in north america to um, work in a more collaborative way to, to innovate and to solve problems that, that uh, frankly, are, are ecosystem-level problems and constraints, and that uh, there is a real uh, business opportunity and kind of the rising tide that floats all boats. Well, I think, I think like you're saying, it's sort of like all the uh, pieces are in place for creating the kind of environment to foster collaboration, right? And it's a necessity. It's not even, and that's one of the things, right? It's a necessity. That, that the United States has right now, like any other nation, to ramp up its manufacturing in-house within their own organism, within their own nations. Um, now, I read that you were looking to address a lot of these issues with the creation of the Smart Manufacturing Executive Council. 
And I know manufacturers are, are pretty much very set in their ways. But with that in mind, could you tell me a little bit about some of the practical ways in which you're helping manufacturers transition into this new era? Yeah. So ironically, there's this there's this dynamic where where uh, the, the most mature manufacturers are increasingly frustrated by the ecosystem around them, by the level of innovation that's taking place, and the on the ongoing. Um, proprietary nature of some of those investments, most of those investments in innovation. And so the executive council is born out of that frustration, the recognition that, that um, there is sort of an, an, a natural friction when the technology providers and the implementers, the integrators, the consultants um, who've made a living for decades now in sort of the legacy historic approach to <clears throat> manufacturing systems. The, the transition to a new way of doing things is never easy or, or um, uh, certainly never simple. And so the executive council was formed to try to establish the, the art of the possible to <clears throat> encourage the entire ecosystem around some of the principles, the, the first principles of smart manufacturing around more, more open, interoperable, approach to manufacturing around sustainability as a core focus around scalability, meaning scaling up to the large enterprises, but also down to the small, medium manufacturers. Those are, that's a, a huge, huge, nine, 98 plus percent of all manufacturing firms in the U.S. are characterized as small, medium manufacturers. Today, they largely can't part, afford to partake in this notion of smart manufacturing and digital transformation because the entire ecosystem is focused on the large manufacturers. And so if we don't bring them along with us, that digital divide um, will, will have a dramatic impact on our uh, ability. Those are our supply chains that have a dramatic impact on our ability to compete uh, moving forward. And so all of that means that we have to focus on what we refer to as the democratization of smart manufacturing, reducing cost and complexity so that all manufacturers can thrive. And that's what the executive council was formed to, to focus on and to uh, create this vision. And then, and then the incentive for this ecosystem to sort of move and transition, accelerate their movement from call it industry 3.0 to industry 4.0, their fourth industrial language. I, I wanna talk a little bit about this renaissance of manufacturing because you, you alluded to it earlier today and um, and we're talking earlier just now, and, and we're talking about the fact that manufacturing has to step up in, in the United States. Do you think that it's a question of a proper renaissance or has it always been cool? Has it always been something that's been happening well in, in the United States? I guess in short, um, innovation has never been a challenge here in the U.S. I, and, and broadly, certainly as well, but, but I would say uniquely that manufacturing here in the U.S. for centuries now has been sort of a, at the epicenter of innovation. And I would say in this realm of smart manufacturing, of digitization, of using information to uh, create more productive, more competitive, more effective, uh, better, higher quality uh, manufacturing processes, that's no exception. But we've we've sort of been innovating in ways that are uh, I'll say suboptimal. We, we, we've been innovating in, in islands. I, we talked about islands of 
decades ago, we were talking about islands of information. Well, we've connected those islands to some degree, but now we're talking about islands of innovation, creating data silos, creating stovepipe architectures, making it really difficult for a more systematic, holistic approach to analysis, to uh, decision support. And so, uh, ironically, it's, it's been, it ha innovation has never been a challenge. It's been innovating in a more systematic, in a more strategic way um, that, that will, we believe in, in that, in that uh, back to that idea of the smart manufacturing mentality as we think about the future, uh, will compel us to innovate in more, more structured and more thoughtful ways. And, and um, there, there are some, uh, as, as I guess wouldn't really be shocking to us, people, process, and technology components that will enable that going forward. And that's, that's really the essence of what we here at SESME are trying to accomplish in bringing this ecosystem together in a, in a holistic way to facilitate innovation, actually even accelerate innovation, but uh, that requires a more thoughtful approach. And you know what I'd add to that, the sort of glue that is in between the people, processes, and technology is the whole data element. Because, you know, you've mentioned it at the start of our conversation, that it is one of the biggest challenges that we face in this industry right now. And I think that's across all continents, frankly. I have conversations on a regular basis with executives that are drowning in data. And yet also, and we talk about data-driven leadership in supply chain and manufacturing. And it's one thing to talk a lot about these concepts, but how do you actually operationalize that? Do you think that's a skills shortage? It's a mindset challenge? What's the, what's the roadblock to success with data-driven leadership? Yeah, there, there are some serious challenges there. Um, data-rich, information-poor is a, is, a, is a phrase that, that I've heard a number of times, and it certainly, I think, is, is another hallmark of, of manufacturing. There's a, there's a fascinating <clears throat> sort of divide between corporations and the ecosystem around the corporate level of manufacturing. Um, the, you have the sort of large enterprise players like SAP and Oracle and Microsoft and IBM and all of the big players, the consultants, the vendors, technology providers, they sell, they, they engage with the enterprise, but then you've got the plants and you've got an entirely distinct enterprise or ecosystem rather that, that, that focuses on supporting the plants. And, and that's where the Rockwell automations of the world live and GE and Siemens and, and um, Phoenix Contact and a lot of the great sort of highly innovative automation players. But, but it's, it's, the, it's the lack of synergy and the lack of collaboration between that enterprise ecosystem and the plant ecosystem that has continued to propagate very, very um, separate mentalities about how to think about manufacturing, how to invest in manufacturing. And, and even though we've been talking about shop floor to top floor and OTIT convergence for literally 20 years now, more than 20 years now, that ecosystem is still as, as distinct. Those ecosystems are as distinct today as they've ever been. And, and frankly, that's what's causing this, in my opinion, one, <clears throat> one of the root cause reasons why we have this sort of separation of or this distinction between being data rich and information poor. The systematic strategic investment has been on the back end of, of manufacturing, the enterprise of manufacturing, ERP, supply chain side, whereas the plants are largely still black holes. 
the data required to drive, understand where your constraints are, your production constraints are, understand the, the things that you can focus on today to improve your productivity are often remarkably difficult and very manual still as opposed to automated, automated or you know, data-driven processes and workflows. So there's a gap there that uh, fundamentally needs to, to be addressed. And it's, again, part of the uh, Smart Manufacturing Executive Council and this idea of a, of a holistic mentality that we hope will bring these ecosystems together in some fundamentally important ways. And I think, like, like you said before, the big divide between the small uh, manufacturers and the large manufacturers, you know, really they were going to need to invest quite a lot of time and effort and money into the small companies so that they can catch up and we don't have that big divide. I want to turn to the future for a second and think about if you and I were having this conversation again in five years time, um, what would you like to see happen in those five years? Yeah, so I think uh, back to the the systemic constraints that we face around proprietary behaviors and, and approaches and, and um, strategies and architectures, as well as this notion of, of the sort of OTIT divide. Uh, I think if we're successful, we will, these, these sort of disruptive transform, transformative activities and initiatives will never happen overnight in manufacturing. Manufacturers are, shall we say, slow to change, but fundamentally that is the transformation that has to happen. The convergence of those ecosystems and the, the ability for us to innovate in a much more aggressive and agile way based on that mindset, based on the culture that requests and demands data, not, not leading and driving by, by gut feel or by instinct. That's, that's sufficient for where we've been in the past, no longer sufficient for where we need to go in the future. So it's, it's those two key areas that we, I think, we'll, we'll look forward to seeing, trending, tracking towards disruption in, in those areas. Well, I hope we, I hope you're right. I hope we can get that sorted. And I hope when you and I do talk in five years time, we're sitting here saying, well, see, I'm glad we, that, that actually happened. Now we've come to the end of our interview and I want to ask you the same question that I ask every single one of my guests at the end of the interview. And that's to maybe reflect on a book that you have read, whether it's personal business related that has made an impact on your life and that you could recommend and, and why. So there's a, there's a, an author, a book that uh, a friend of mine um, introduced me to over 20 years ago when I first began leading an organization that um, put me in a new spot, a new opportunity to impact and influence a bigger number of folks. And, and, and I look back on it today as having been su superbly sort of um, informative, informative in my thinking and in my approach to leadership and remains that to this day. And, and, um, and, and the author is Jim Collins and the book is good to great. I'm sure many have read it. Many have, have um, benefited from it. But the basic understanding of, of how people work, how people are motivated, the distinction between character traits that great leaders embody versus good leaders. And I certainly 
don't want to imply that I'm a great leader, but I certainly strive to be a great leader. The, the idea that um, um, you've got to have the right people on the bus doing the right things, the things that excite them and that they're made to do, um, that motivates and energizes them to do. The, these, these principles to me, even though, even though uh, the, the book is 20 some years old at this point, um, these principles are timeless, right? They're, they're actually based on some timeless truths that, that certainly I believe in as well. And, and so that, I guess uh, when, when I have the opportunity to espouse those types of ideas, that's where I go to pretty quickly. Jim Collins did some fairly unique research as the foundation for that book. And, and I think uh, um, those, are, those are really timeless nuggets of truth and wisdom and insight that, that I think will help anybody be a better leader. On that note, John, thanks so much for being a guest on Transform Talks. So that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. I do hope you gained some valuable insight from this week's episode. To stay up to date with the latest developments, be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Transform Talks. Also, if you don't already follow me on LinkedIn, please do so now. I'm always keen to connect with supply chain and business leaders from around the world. You can find me by searching for Maria P. Villablanca. And if you're lucky, I may let you know what the P in my name stands for. In the meantime, wishing you a great week ahead. And as always, for those of you listening, I'll catch you at the next one.